Hello, audio-only listener. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This is a recording of a live podcast episode that aired live on YouTube. We usually go live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays. That being said, we may be making references to things that can only be seen on screen. Don't worry, you're not going to miss out on any information because of this. Just some things may not make sense because we're making a reference to something that is on screen. And with that out of the way, thank you so much for joining us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Killing the Church, presented by Alternate Media. Here where we talk about things that are killing the church and things that need to be killed in the church. Hello, Brad. How are you today? I am doing spectacular. It's <laughs> been a good day, and I'm excited about the show tonight. I am too. We've got uh, we've got some really cool stuff in store for you guys. I'm super super excited to get into it. Um, and uh, we we both have completely different angles at which we're uh, approaching this too. So I'm actually excited to hear what you have, and because uh, we haven't actually really coordinated a whole lot. Uh, so uh, so this is gonna be cool. Anyway, I'm I'm excited. First and foremost. I want a uh, special thanks to our top tier Patreon supporters. This actually, this episode idea is brought to you by a Patreon suggestion. So once again, we thank you guys for the uh, episode ideas and suggestions and things that you want to learn and cover. We got them. Uh, so thank you to all of our Talmudim and scholar level patrons. Uh, pa- patron, I can never get that right. <laughs> uh, you guys rock. Uh, that's the moral of the story. <laughs> so let's get some of that uh <laughs> get some of that background music going absolutely yes so we uh the the two messiahs i'm sure some of you guys have already seen uh the, the banner title for it of the episode so uh so you know what we're getting into so before we jump straight into the topic we have a tradition to uphold uh yes what are you so, having tonight? <laughs> I'm trying something new. I, I have not tried this before yet. Um, the Elijah Craig small batch. Ah. Yeah. Actually, I first had that at synagogue, actually. Did you really? Yeah, somebody uh, brought it to uh, at the synagogue that I go to every um, uh, Friday night after the prayer service. You go into the back and they have like just people bring alcohol and stuff it's great it's a great time that's awesome <laughs> that is awesome yeah. i'm trying the uh this is called uh drum shambo it's a single pot irish whiskey um small batch really really good stuff i've had it before aged in a kentucky uh bourbon cask so it's really sweet very cool i gonna say so what you're drinking has been aged in the barrel that what i'm drinking was <laughs> yeah was- well, there's an interesting law. Uh, uh, bourbon law is that you can only age bourbon in a in a virgin barrel. Yes. So you can only use the barrel one time. Now, the Scots and the Irish were like, well, that's a good waste of perfectly good barrel material. Give it to us. And so right. they, they quite often take barrels from the Americans and are like, hey, if you're done with it, like you used it for four years and that's nothing. So you, you got a solid 28 more years out of that barrel. Can we have it? <laughs> Oh, all right. Ooh, that's that's different. Yeah, so all right, yeah, cool. I, I like. So, uh, before we get started, also, um, 
those of you who are joining us in the tradition, please tell us what you're having. And if you have any suggestions, drop them in the comments section below. Uh, and uh, a couple more things that we've got going on in the description of this video. Uh, I've got a couple of links if you want to join our Discord. That's it up here on screen. Uh, but if you're watching on YouTube and on Facebook, it's a clickable link in the description. So you can go that if you want want to chill out with us uh, and ask questions. There's, we have... I'm actually surprised at the diversity we have in our Discord server. I so love we've got it, a little dude. bit of everybody. Yes. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's the kind of unity that really, I, I think, all believers should be striving for. There, there's no reason that we can't all have a peaceful conversation with one another. Yeah, we... Uh... Bobby, he's, he's actually in the chat. <laughs> hey, good him, so I got good uh, stuff. We joke with each other all the time. He calls me a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, but yeah, he's in the uh, he's in the Discord chat, and and yeah, these guys can attest. We we're there. We reply. You can ask us anything. Throw us in the lion's den. We're here for it. <laughs> hey, Spartan uh, theology's on. Yep. So cool. All right uh formalities out of the way let's uh what let's okay let's start with luke chapter seven yes <laughs> <laughs> this is always the best place to start this discussion <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you agree because we did not plan ahead of time how we were going to run this episode <laughs> yep, th th this is almost always how i start this discussion <laughs> yeah uh, you know, because this is a so the idea of two messiahs for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, and many of you may be. Um, there is a concept uh, we're going to further expound here later in the episode of two messiah figures, and Luke seven is the most obvious point in uh, the New Testament where this is something that matters. Like knowing this information matters to the context, so. I believe it starts in verse 18. And uh, I'll read my version. Um, I have say the, I got the TLV also. Yeah, okay, so we're both using a TLV. Cool. Yeah. Uh, seven, uh, Luke verse uh, chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples reported to him about all these things. Um, calling two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, uh, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? When they appeared before him, uh, the men said, John the Immerser sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? At this very hour, he was healing many of uh, diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind. And answering, he said to them, Go report to John what you saw and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those who uh, have sara'at, or leprosy, are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news uh, proclaimed to them. Blessed is he who is not led to stumble because of me. Okay, cryptic answer. Cryptic question. Why is that a cryptic yeah. question, Brad? Go so, ahead. <laughs> the the most common one that I have heard preached. Now, granted, as, as arbitrary as the limited experience that I've had um, is, which is not really that limited in and of itself. I've been to enough churches to have heard this passage preached out of a number of times. Um the most common sermon that I hear is that, well, John is in prison right now, and he's obviously depressed, uh, and he is now having a crisis of faith. He's wondering if Jesus actually is the Messiah at this point. Um, and 
that has never made any sense to me because if we understand if if we if we take uh the, what we know of John into account right if we take it especially uh if we take the the earliest parts of Luke into account uh when he was 6 months in the womb and leapt at being in the presence of the fetus of the messiah right um this is somebody this is somebody who knew who Yeshua was before he was even born um, mm. much less he's the first one who jumped up and, and pointed him out and said, yep, that's him. That's the guy, right? This is not somebody who's going to have a crisis of faith simply because he's depressed in prison, right? Or, or because, you know, his, he, he's waiting for, you know, Jesus to finally supplant the empire as it were. Uh, no, um, I think there's a deeper question being asked here. And this is where the concept of two messiahs or two messianic figures becomes extremely important to the narrative, right? Because he doesn't ask, are you the messiah? The, the question's very specific. Is it you that we look for or should we look for another? <clears throat> which, which again is, and so uh, our version actually reads, are you the one of which we are to look for or should we await another? Um, that again, uh, we, we've we've stressed before. Unless you understand uh, the relevance of the question, the question itself makes no sense, and why it's worded the way that it is. Um, and so, the the concept um, is there are two messiahs in in the Jewish belief system. Well, basically, just you know, I guess we can get to the good part. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Biddy's on. Well, you know. I think that this is a good, Hey, Biddy, what's up? <laughs> uh, so I, I think this is actually, this is a good part to really get into the answer before we get into the rest. Right. Um, and I believe the references in the answer themselves are uh, what? Isaiah 35. Oh, when he's 61. quoting Isaiah. 31. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so let's turn there. You got Isaiah five, uh, 35, five and six, and I'll get 61, one and two. 35. <laughs> it's, uh, versus, uh, just verse, it's like five and six, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. five and six. Uh, I'll read four. And uh, just to provide a little bit of context, because it might be important. Say to those with an anxious heart, be strong, have no fear. Behold, your God, uh, vengeance is coming. God's recompense is coming, and then he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will uh, unstopped. The lame will leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing. For the water will burst forth in the desert and streams in the wilderness. All right. Five and six. <clears throat> So, the Isaiah 61 reference, uh, verses 1 and 2a, um, the Ruach Adonai Elohim is on me because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and uh, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor, and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. So, 
those two are pretty unique with respect to one another. I mean, uh, so this is common practice just from the historian's standpoint. Um, uh, people would, you know, they didn't have access to a written, they couldn't carry a Bible with them everywhere like we can. Uh, and so they relied heavily on memorizing over and over and over Bible passages until the whole thing was memorized essentially word for word. And so it was very common to to converse using verses um, because it's stuff that they have easily memorized. Um, and so, you know, in answering a question with a with a verse from memory, uh, especially if you understand the context of the verse that you're quoting, if that has importance to the conversation at hand, which again, the question is, you know, John is asking, um, are you the one or are we awaiting another? And Yeshua's answer is not yes or no. Um, well, Yeshua's answer is not I am this one or another. He's, he's he actually, his answer is more or less uh, yes, both, <laughs> uh, kind of in a way um but uh the 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 what is it it's i can't remember the is it is it from suka no 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 you actually might have the reference that ties verse uh that ch ties chapter 35 verse 5 and 6 with uh messianic prophecy um uh i may it's fine if you don't mm. we got some stuff up here it's fine uh so say, yeah move on <laughs> yeah no it's good so there are We'll start just immediately breaking down the two different concepts. And then we'll come back to Luke 7 after we put everything in its perspective. Um, we will provide the background and we will return to Luke 7 at the end of the episode. Uh, and everything should make sense. Essentially, that's how we're going to do this. Right. So the concept of two messiahs. They're, uh, they're commonly referred to, and there's, there's multiple ways to refer to either of them. But usually you'll hear it in uh, the form of Messiah ben Yosef or Messiah ben David. Um, and Messiah ben Yosef is typically known as the suffering servant. Yes. Um, and so he he is the the one that is to suffer and die. There, there, are, and, and there are reasons why the two Messiahs theory kind of comes about. There's a lot of parallelism within the Bible itself, but also there's a lot of problems with messianic prophecies that uh, much of historical Judaism has agreed that this is messianic prophecy, but there's a problem. Uh, some of these prophecies speak of a person who's going to suffer and die, and others talk of the same Messiah being, um, you know, a conquering king, and, uh, and one, one, one who will reign for eternity at that. So it, there are inherent problems of logic and chronology between prophecies concerning a Messiah. Right, because you do have you do have those that speak of a suffering servant who will die, and then a king who will reign eternally. Logically, somebody who is reading this uh, from a past point perspective uh, is going to assume that these are probably two different people. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a natural conclusion given the the way that it sort of words, <clears throat> and there's a, there's a lot more to it than that as well. There's uh, you get these these dualisms. Uh, for lack of a better term, all throughout the Torah, um, and particularly with uh, Israel and his two wives, right? And so there is who is the firstborn, and there's there's a little bit of this sort of recorded, um, in, I think it's First Kings, 
the guy that he's not allowed to be in the line of Messiah, uh, that king starts with a J. Jehoiakim? Yes. Um, so essentially there, there are two possible firstborns. And so there are two possible lineages from, from Jacob that the Messiah could come from. Uh, and there's the, the, the passage before he loses the right to have a, a messianic figure of his lineage. Um, it introduces the idea of a second Messiah possibility coming from his lineage because he's from uh, the 10 northern tribes. And then there's the two southern tribes, completely different setups. Uh, and so Judaism throughout its history has sort of had this, this sort of, um, uh, well, there's like two separate kingdoms. So there might be two separate messiahs for two separate missions. Uh, there's maybe one who comes long before and then another that comes after. Um, you know, there's there's tons of different theories that are out there, but generally speaking, uh, there's a little bit of unity in that there's a suffering messiah and then there's a conquering messiah for the most part. Yes. Um, uh, in fact, uh, we were actually talking about this on our Discord at one point. Somebody asked about uh, Messiah, son of Ephraim. Which is another euphemism for Messiah, son of Joseph. Yeah, um, which uh, I think I have it actually here pulled up. This is called uh, this is called Yalkut Shminon, uh, Shimoni Yalkut Shimoni, um, and it uh, in, in its in its introduction, it gives you this idea that the reason he calls the the suffering servant by the name Ephraim is because the tribe of Ephraim is associated with suffering. Um, and so Ephraim, saying Ephraim, my righteous Messiah, is another way of saying the suffering servant. Um, and so that that uh, that was in our Discord at one point in a chat. I don't think we ever got around to actually answering that one when before conversation moved on, but that's, that's essentially your answer. Um, it's, yep. it's the same thing. <laughs> um, so you got some, uh, but yeah, so proof right do, do 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 they actually teach that there are two different messiahs we've got plenty right. of proof uh <laughs> <So> yeah <laughs> go ahead and lead the way on that one yeah actually there so it, it's amazing uh, kind of how, how much more you can learn um just by by doing a, a general search because we didn't even look for very much but there's just so much information about this that's there that it's easy to find uh, so for, first and foremost, yes, it, it's most commonly accepted uh, that there would be two, uh, two persons. However, there do exist teachings uh, from certain rabbinic scholars uh, that they would be within one person or one body, uh, more or less. Um and so the first citation that I've got as support for that is uh, Chaya Mahoran 6. Uh, I think we're starting in verse 2. Yeah, uh, which is kind of a, a big verse here. But uh, let's see. He said then twice on Shabbos Eve, uh, he said the Torah, Emtsuusa, uh, Da'alma, Chaych. Okay, so... Where the cent uh, where is the center of the world? Uh, Likuti Marharan, section one, Torah twenty four, which discusses the nine chambers. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because this is actually kind of beside the point here. Okay, so he said there are seventy nations and they are contained within Isav and Yishmael. So 
the 70 nations are contained within Esau and, and Ishmael. Uh, one of them includes 35 nations and the other includes 35 nations. In the future, two Moshiachs will conquer them, Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. In addition, there exists a Tzaddik who encompasses both Moshiachs together. So, uh, that that that's just a again evidence that there exists at least some reference to both existing in one Tzaddik, one one righteous person. Yeah, and the reason that's significant is because again, for the longest time, the idea has been two separate messiahs that come at two different times. Right. Um, but uh, there have been a few rabbis uh, who argue, uh, in effect, um, I believe if I use Sukkah, this okay for those of my for those of you who are Babylonian Talmud haters, uh, I'm about to make you like this this uh, document a whole lot more. <laughs> um, but the there's this idea that existed even in rabbinic Judaism that the suffering servant would actually be resurrected. And so depending on your school of thought, it could be that after the resurrection, it's the same Messiah and he comes back as King David. Um, or it's or King David comes, uh, King Messiah David comes and resurrects the previous Messiah and avenges his death. Uh, and that comes from the Babylonian Talmud, Sukkah 52, page A and B. Um, and I'm just going to read a couple of things, uh, just a couple of verses here. The Gemara asks, uh, granted, according to the one who said that we lament for Messiah ben Yosef, who was killed, this which is written, and they shall look unto me because they have thrust him through, and they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son, Zechariah 12, 10. Uh, and actually, so this is explicit um, Talmudic verification that Zechariah 12, 10 was considered a messianic prophecy specifically in reference to Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering servant. Um, and then there's a bunch of stuff about the eulogy. There's actually this weird, uh, not weird, this is neat little bit about um, the uh, the other interpretation of this is could be um, that you're mourning for the evil inclination, that you write a eulogy for the evil inclination, because uh, it dies in the end times. Yeah, and, and there's this bit like where to the righteous, the evil inclination will appear as a mountain, and to the unrighteous, it'll appear no larger than a, a hair on someone's head. Uh, so that at the at the end of the judgment day, basically each of them go, you know, the righteous look up and go, wow, how how were we able to overcome such a mountain? And, and the evil people look down and they're like, that's all that it was? <laughs> how I let that overcome me? It's a really interesting story. Pulls out of Zechariah 8.6. Um, <laughs> but uh, later on in the story, it talks about uh, Messiah, son of David coming back and resurrecting uh, Messiah, son of Yosef, and avenging his death. Um, and, uh, and so there's, that, there's, there's some also parts on page B. It's, there's, there's a lot here, uh, so you kind of have to search through and read the whole thing and find the parts that are um, was, relevant to the entire subject. But I was going to say, for, yeah, furthermore on that, uh, one of the sources that I got that, that again, is, is very, very supportive of this um, is from Kol Hator, uh chapter one uh -huh. verse verse like nine ten ish i don't know the way they're divided is is a little odd but i so it's verse nine and so it 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 begins yosef is still alive the basic approach of the gaon is encapsulated in the 
in the principle, Yosef is still alive, meaning that Mashiach ben Yosef is still alive and will live because, as it is written, every aspect of the beginning of the redemption is dependent on him. Thus, the decree regarding his murder by Armelus the Wicked will be canceled. So that Armelus the Wicked is actually, uh, that's he's considered to be an anti-Messiah figure from the Middle Ages, um, mm. but it's, it's also kind of a euphemism for anti-messiah in general other the concept of an antichrist yeah um kind of like uh the abomination of desolation right that's a pre-antichrist figure right uh antiochus epiphanies um what i really love about the kola and for those of you who don't know the kola tour was written by a guy named the uh the vilna gaon yep um or uh or or the gra as he's also known I'm going to put it. And so, so Kolhator is actually not by him in particular. It, it is written by one of his students, but it is a collection of his teachings from one of his students. Kolhator. I'm putting it in the chat for those of you so you can Google it later. Right. Um, it's, it's available in Safari. It is. Uh, well, and... okay. So part of it, and I'll, I'll, I'll get up to that later because there's a citation that I found numerous sources referencing it, but I couldn't find it specifically in Kol HaTor, ah. but we'll get to that in a minute. Very well. Uh, so uh, one of my favorite bits and pieces from the Kol HaTor, actually, because I, I, I skimmed over it before the episode. Um, Od, Od Yosef Chai, right? Yosef is still alive, uh, which I really like that saying <clears throat> uh, because of the resurrection, just saying. But uh, <laughs> the uh, it's it's from verse, it's chapter Kol HaTor 133. Yosef Chai, they, and a righteous person lives by his faith. Yes. Super cool. Like, yes. <laughs> there's it's really good stuff in here. Um, I was going to say, one, one of the next things I was actually going to get into while we're on the Kol Hator, um, I figure I'll get part of this out of the way. Um, and, and I mainly cited this just again as, as further proof that there exists in Judaism um, a precedence for an understanding of these two messiahs. Uh, and the two messianic figures. And so Kol Hator 1, 2. Uh, let's see. Okay, so yeah, the Gaon merited being the light of Mashiach ben Yosef in order to promote the ingathering of the exiles and to reveal the hints in the Torah regarding the footsteps of Mashiach ben Yosef. He was therefore sent down from heaven. Uh, this is based on the words of Isaiah uh, 60, 22. The smallest will become a thousand. And this hints at the number 999, which is in the Sephiria Yesod. So there actually is a lot of gematria in Kol Hator. Uh, gematria lot. becomes extremely irrelevant or extremely relevant in, in Kol Hator. Um, and let's see. Yeah. Uh, the root of the Or Elyon at... The high level of medicine. Okay, hang on. I lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this again we're we're seeing I think it I think it might have been farther down. There's a mention of the uh the order in which they were to come. Oh, that was verse one. That's why I'm that's why I'm lost. Yeah, so anyway, uh, uh th there's a bunch of, I mean we have a ton of sources on the, the, like the role and uh who, who this person is supposed to be 
Um, there's a midrash that says the the Messiah, uh, or at the very least, his name was known before the creation of the world. Others would say that he he was part of the created uh, before the creation of the world. That particular resource actually comes from the Yalkut Shimoni that I was referencing earlier on yep. Isaiah chapter 499. Um, let me see here. Uh, where is uh, here? So by your light, we will see this is the light of the Messiah. As it is said, God saw the light and it was good. Genesis 1 4. This teaches that before the world was created, the Holy One, blessed be he, looked forward to the generation of Messiah and its deeds. He hid the primordial light for Messiah and his generation beneath his throne of glory. The Satan said to the Holy One, blessed be he, master of the universe, for whom is the light that you hid beneath your throne of glory? He responded, it is for him who will ultimately refute and shamefully rebuke you. Master of the universe, show him to me, said Satan. He responded, come and see him. And as soon as he saw him, he became frightened and fell on his face, saying, certainly this is Messiah who will ultimately cause my downfall as well as all of the princes of the idolaters in Gehenna. Um, and, and, and this is, uh, th there's, there's a whole lot more to the story. Um, and uh, later on, just, just a paragraph later, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, Ephraim, my righteous Messiah, is his name. Uh, and so this is Messiah, son of Yosef. This is the suffering servant. Uh, he will increase his stature and the stature of his generation, illuminating the eyes of Israel and saving his people. No nation or language will be able to stand against him. Um, and later on, where is it here? Uh, oh, the pact that he makes. And he said to him, O master of the universe, with a joyful and glad heart, I will accept upon myself uh, your yoke. The, the Messiah then said to him, um, uh, Master, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Holy One, blessed be he, master of the universe, Will this suffering last for many years? And the Holy One, uh, blessed be he, said to him, By your life and the life of your head, I have decreed a week upon, upon you. And then uh, the, there's this conversation that's happening back and forth. And he says, I will accept upon the, the, the yoke on the condition that no one of Israel will perish, and that not only those who live in my, in my time, they shall be saved, but even those that are hidden in the dust and are not only the dead from my time alone shall be saved, but even those who died from the days of Adam, the first man until now, and not only these, but even those who were miscarried in my time and shall be saved, not only those who were miscarried, but even those who you considered creating, but were not yet created on these terms, I am willing to accept these and uh, I am willing to accept, um, excuse me. And so like there, there's this interesting story here that's happening. It's a very mystical document. Um, but it's 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 giving you the idea that there's a there's a suffering right messiah, um, and uh, my <laughs> I found I found one awesome reference to something you mentioned earlier about the differences about you know the the relationship of Sarah and Rachel, um, you know the the two mothers of the the children of Israel here mm -hmm. uh, that actually pertains to this. And that is, yeah, that is the Kolhator uh, one two, which is according to the Gaon, all the work involved in ga the gathering of the exiles, uh, building Jerusalem and broadening the settlement of the land of Israel, uh, so that the Shekinah will return to it. All the principles of the work and all the major and minor details are connected to the mission and role of the first Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef 
is the miraculous power who will assist every act done when the awakening starts from below in a natural manner because he comes from the earth. Mashiach ben David, however, will come from heaven as is revealed by the different aspects of Rachel and Leah, as is known uh, reading the footsteps of the Mashiach and the revealed end. Mashiach ben Yosef himself is a composite of two aspects. On one hand, he is the son of Yosef, uh, he is Yosef, the son of Rachel of the land. On the other, he is Yosef, the son of Jacob from heaven. So there, there's, there's even a, an understanding that that this son of Yosef, being of the earth, would still be have some part aspect being from heaven, um, and this is tied to his lineage from Yaakov in some way. Yeah, uh, there's also uh, there's a few things you might find if you start digging in a little deeper. Of the concept of metatron <laughs> right right so that is another thing is like yeah kol hator in, in as much as it is tracking the 999 footsteps of messiah which uh, as as i understand I, I read through most of chapters one and two actually i, I read through most of chapters one two and three um mm -hmm. and uh, it it seems that the footsteps of messiah is a euphemism for the time period uh, of the exile until Mashiach ben David comes. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember reading that. I actually got that pulled up here. Yes, and uh, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a and lot that somehow here. <laughs> that somehow the suffering is also connected to this. That you know that the suffering of this Messiah is intrinsically connected to the suffering of the children of Israel during this period of exile. What is, what is that reference that says the death of a sadiq atones for sins? What is that? Oh reference? man, uh, it's Moed Katan. Oh, I want to say twenty-eight. We didn't even think to put that one in our notes for this. I totally yeah, thought I, I, of that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why we why we would have forgotten that one. Uh, but you got something from Sanhedrin uh, ninety-eight. Is that right? Ah, uh, yeah, so San Sanhedrin 98b, uh, starting in 14, actually, is where we begin to talk about uh, Mashiach the leper. Um, uh, leper of the house of study. <laughs> yes, and and why? why? Why would he be called? Why would he be called a leper? Um, and, and so Chabad.org has a great video uh, between um, this uh, rabbi... Um, Rabbi uh, uh, Kaplan, Mendel Kaplan, uh, Mendel Kaplan. Yep. And I forget the other rabbi's name, but uh, they have a, a phenomenal conversation about what the implications of 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 Sarat and and the Messiah have, right? Because they they first start by like like breaking down what is Sarat, what is leprosy, right? It's not the leprosy we know today. Lou Gehrig's disease is is not. Um, is it Lou Gehrig's disease or is it Hansen's disease? I forget which one it is. is, something different. It is yeah, it's Hansen's disease, I think it is. Uh, anyway, um, that is not the leprosy that is biblical leprosy. That leprosy didn't exist in the biblical period. Um, what is being described in the Bible is is what Sarah'at is, um, is cosmetic in a sense. Um, it It's not something that's biological necessarily. It begins on the wall of the house, more or less. Uh, and... Then once it does get to your body, um, 
you still don't have it until the priest has declared that you have it. It's like even though the evidence for the condition is there, it it isn't actual until the priest makes it so. Mm -hmm. Right? That's right. Uh, there's a number of implications that that has, but um, but it, one thing that they note is that it is a condition that seems to be unique to people who are righteous uh righteous with a with like a, a minor lacking detail there's there's like a minor deficiency and that that little bit that they can't seem to get over is what's causing you know the uh the the, the leprosy um and and so they take from that that the messiah this this messiah uh he's called a leper uh not only because of the obvious implications of him taking on the sufferings of the people. This reference, by the way, Sanhedrin 98b, um, 14, this is important because there are many, many people out there who would say that Isaiah 53 doesn't in any way pertain to the Messiah, that it is solely about Israel. That it, I'm not going to say that it's not about Israel. Uh, it it certainly is, and and I I think that this is where Pardis becomes very important, um, because the <laughs> the interpretation applying it to Israel definitely fits, and I'm not going to discredit it in any way. But to to make the bold statement that it's not about the Messiah is not exactly correct, because according to the rabbis in Sanhedrin 98b, it is exactly about the Messiah. Um, and because this is the exact passage that they reference when they refer to him as the leper of the house of Rebbe, right? The, the house of study. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's another thing that's brought out is, okay, so why is he the leper of the house of study specifically? Why is it called that? And Seamus, you could probably explain that one. Actually, no, uh, I haven't seen the Moshiach halfways all the way through. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> right. So again, Right. This is somebody the, the, the idea that that Sarah only affects people who have a, a minor deficiency right there. But there but there is a deficiency there. Um, but specifically, he would be called the leper of the house of study. And what they come around to is this, that it would be a perceived deficiency among the scholars of his day. Right. Uh, and, and the comparison that's made in the conversation is to uh, like Einstein. Einstein was considered to be mentally deficient in his time. And that's just because he was so far ahead of his time that to the to scholars else. of his own day, he seemed like a moron. Because what he was teaching and what he was saying was so far beyond the scholars of his day that it came off as nonsense to them. Because they weren't they weren't at a point where they could comprehend or grasp it. Uh, and and so that's that's what they're that's what they conclude that this this messianic figure would be that he would be somebody that is that that the scholars of his day would reject uh, because of the lofty level uh, of his of his understanding. And this is where this Kol Hator reference that I I I have looked up this reference. It is not in Safaria because, as far as I can tell, it, it seems to be quoting a Kol Hator chapter 5, and Kol Hator seems to only have three chapters. Yeah. But I have found multiple research papers and whatnot that cite this source, and they all cite it identically. Um, but so the, the, the quote here is this, and this is attributed to Kol Hator. And it is regarding the effect of the Sitra Achra in the days of Mashiach ben Yosef, 
right? It says, how strong is the force of the Sitra Ahara that he, men uh, that he managed to hide from the eyes of our holy fathers the danger of the Klipot layers, from the eyes of our forefather Abraham, the Klipa of Ishmael, from the eyes of our forefather Isaac, the Klipa of Esau, and from the eyes of our forefather Jacob, the Klipa of Teraphim. During the footsteps of Mashiach, the Sitra Ahra becomes even more, uh, even stronger in order to strike biblical scholars with blindness. So, again, <laughs> I, I couldn't find where this quote comes from, but I found several places that cite it where it, 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 what is attributed to Kol Hator is an understanding that the biblical scholars of the day of Mashiach ben Yosef would not recognize him. And I, I, there is another uh, reference from Kol Hator that I can pull from and I can cite, because I could find it, that also echoes the same sentiment, and it's Kol Hator chapter 2, uh, verse 39. Hang on, I'll pull it up. You, you, I've been talking too long. Say something. Yeah, you're doing great though. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. So I'm just I'm sitting here soaking it in and loving it. Um, and I'm I'm also kind of monitoring the chat and see if there's any questions. Uh, so far, nothing. But in in summary, what I can do right now is essentially Messiah, son of Joseph. What is what is his mission? What is his goal here? To be a prophet. It's it's the prophetic role. What we're looking right. for is and 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 uh. I think back to the time when uh, somebody comes to Yeshua and he says, hey, uh, between me and my brother, help us divide the inheritance. And he says, who made me a judge over you? Um, this would be because he is not in, in, in the authoritative position as a king to do this kind of job. He's explicitly saying here that that's not my job uh, and that his time here is in the prophetic nature. And so uh, he, he would act very much like a prophet and and this is very conducive of his message you read his message the besora which is the the good news in hebrew um is the same throughout all of the generations of, of hebrew scriptures all the way from from um uh, joshua through to the end of um the end of the tanakh uh repent for the kingdom of of god is at hand that is the the good news and that's exactly what yeshua preached so this is this is his prophetic role that he's stepped into Go ahead. You sound like you got so, something. So, <laughs> yeah, the, you're you're really going to like this one. Um, Let's go. <laughs> because it's going to sound, again, like like certain passages that we would derive uh, from, from the New Testament. Um, so, Yosef recognized his brothers, right? This is Kol Hator 2.39. Oh. Yosef recognized his brothers, but no they way. did not recognize him. This <sighs> is one of the traits of Yosef, not only in his own generation, but in every generation, i.e. that Mashiach ben Yosef recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. This is the work of Satan, who hides the characteristics of Mashiach ben Yosef so that the footsteps of the Mashiach are not recognized and are even belittled because of our many sins. Otherwise, our troubles would have already ended. Were Israel to recognize Yosef, that is, the footsteps of ben Yosef, which is the ingathering of the exiles, etc., then we would already have been redeemed with a complete redemption. The, the, yeah. this, is, this is something we've tried to get through to people anytime, anytime <laughs> that a Christian brings up where, where Paul mentions that the Jews are blinded, right? And they never finish that phrase. It, it, he specifically outlines that they are blinded in part. Blinded in part to what? To the identity of 
Moshiach ben Yosef in this mm -hmm. aspect, right? That is specifically what he's referencing. And the reason is this. He, he even says it's for the sake of the nations. It's for the sake of, of Gentiles that this is happening. Because if in his lifetime, right, if, if in the lifetime of Yeshua, every Jew in Israel automatically at that point accepted him as, as Messiah, boom, that's it. The end. Yeah, like you're done. there is no hope for Gentiles at that point. Which, uh, and, and again, I love that parallel because you and I have made that parallel before in the past, long before we read the Kolator chapter two, um, because uh, essentially our argument is, well, you know, uh, we, we say all the wrong things. We say this all the time to, to other Christians who are trying to talk to Jews. You're saying the wrong words. When you say, I think that Jesus is the Messiah, you've already, you've already started off wrong because he's not lost. the Messiah. He didn't do anything the Messiah is meant to do. That's the conquering king Messiah. That's Messiah ben David. Um, but while he was here on earth, he was Yosef, Messiah ben Yosef, the prophetic um, uh, nature, the, 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 his role as a prophet. And because you, would, keep, you keep introducing him as the wrong person, he's unrecognizable to the Jewish people. You introduce Jesus, the, this Greekified, Gentileified, uh, person who taught against torah who um told people to that to, to say that i'm the sabbath now so none of the sabbath matters like you've introduced the wrong th this person in such a wrong way that the his own people look at him and don't don't recognize him at all J joseph looks like an egyptian so his brothers don't recognize him that's exactly right that's, that's exactly what it is. right it's and so we have introduced the wrong we've introduced him as an egyptian and so yeah of course they're not gonna uh, recognize him um, and so we, we try to tell people to like, be careful with your words. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and it, this is something that can even be derived from the new Testament itself. Right. And this is, this is something that I've, I've looked through just to be double sure that I'm correct on this. And so far I, I haven't found an inconsistency yet, but there are a number of times where Yeshua says, my time has not yet come. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, every time he utters those words, he is being asked to do something that is characteristic of the son of David, the conquering king, right? One of the Talmudic, and again, this is not even prophetic, right? And uh, again, this further validates the Talmud in and of itself. One of the one of the Talmudic uh, understandings of, of what the Messiah, the Messiah, the conquering king, what he will do uh, is is the turning of water into wine. That that's that that's Talmudically prophetic. It's not it's not in the 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 Tanakh. Um, and so when his mother asks him to do this, what does he tell her? My time has not yet come, right? It's not time for that yet. That's not the mission that I'm here for. That's not the office that I'm here to fulfill. Mm -hmm. um, he does the same thing when he is asked to uh, go and celebrate Hanukkah with his siblings, right? Um, which uh, th that, again, is its own level of symbolism with the the story of Hanukkah being the reclaiming of the temple and whatnot um, and the, the the rededicating of the temple, the, the, the whole thing backdrop of the theme of rebellion against the oppressing regime right again what does he say it's not time for that yet right so so he he almost blatantly denies being here to fulfill the role of the king multiple times in the gospels yeah and his disciples are constantly asking him hey when are you going to redeem israel when is when is this kingdom going to come about because i mean they're in the middle of the roman occupation 
uh, Judaism at this point in history is in, is in basically shambles uh, with the Sanhedrin and the state that it's in with the leader of the Sanhedrin and the dominant uh, party. Like the world is coming down around them essentially. And it's looking like Judaism has no hope for the future. And so this is prime time for uh, Messiah Ben David to come in, restore the nation of Israel, um, rule over the nations as the conquering king and usher in the millennial reign. Um, but he, he insists, I, that I can't tell you, I don't even know when it's going to happen. Uh, that's not, it's not for me to do yet. My time's not here for that. That's not my office. He's constantly pushing away from this idea that I'm the conquering king right now. Um, and so, you know, he, if, if, if nothing else, this is from, from our perspective and from, from the Judaic perspective, he's trying to push that this is his role as Messiah ben Yosef, that, uh, and that, that those answers come about once he's once he dies, you know, and, and that the whole episode happens. That's when people start to to see it. His disciples start to to make the two click. Um, and and uh, you know, again, there's there's different theories on within Judaism, especially nowadays, uh, on the role of the suffering servant. Uh, but there's a lot of, from what we can tell, contextually, um, archaeologically, um, that at the time of uh, of the first century, uh, you know, within the early first century, they were waiting for the King Messiah. They essentially skipped over the part of the suffering Messiah because of how bad things were getting. Uh, and so there's a lot of evidence where like, they just kind of, you know what, the suffering servant, that's not happening where instead it's going to be the King Messiah because we don't rate the suffering servant. Um, and so that, that was kind of the mindset, which is why people are constantly thinking, you know, when they, when they do think that he is, is the Messiah, they immediately associate him with King David. And it's cause they're not really expecting, um, the suffering servant. And, uh, I, I've heard Robbie Mendel Kaplan say, um, in one of his lessons that he, he, he essentially, essentially said the same thing. Uh, he was teaching, uh, I think it was practical parish video. It's on Chabad.org. He's got a whole series and I can't remember what episode it was, but essentially, he said, uh, we're not waiting for Messiah ben Yosef anymore. Uh, he's late. He said jokingly, like he's late. We missed him. Uh, and if he did come, we, we, we failed to identify him. So it's too late now. So now we're waiting on David. And that's the current mindset, even at Chabad, at least through Mendel Kaplan, uh, Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. So, you know, th this is not something uncommon. The, the idea of the Messiah in Judaism is a heavily it's a it's a it's a thoroughly Jewish uh, belief with and, and as as is true with anything in in Judaism and their belief system you get two Jews three opinions four synagogues you know how the joke goes <laughs> um, but uh, you know it, this is part of the context when going back into Luke seven and really all of the the New Testament uh, and once again I, you know somebody brought up Torah apologetics how you present Yeshua to a Jew, you have to be careful with your words. You can't say, I believe he is the Messiah because you will immediately be shut down and turned off. The discussion's over at that point. Um, you need to be specific with what you mean. And, and so you can say things like, I think he will be the Messiah when he returns. That's, that's a personal belief that you hold. You can say stuff like that and you, and you will, you know, you can have that conversation there. Um, but yeah, um, 
you got something. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning there, too, um, because we're we're not here to evangelize uh, religious Orthodox Jews. That is not the mission of alternate media. Um, yes. Yes. This this advice is is uh, if you so choose to have that discussion uh, with a Jewish person. But honestly, I wouldn't. Um, and the reason is this. Uh, Joseph decided himself when it was right for him to reveal himself to his brothers, right? His Egyptian servants didn't walk up to his brothers and say, Hey, this guy is actually your brother, Joseph, right? So that, that's just, that, that, that's not our place. Uh, that's, that's something that, uh, will be revealed in his own time. Uh, so yeah, so we got a, yeah, uh, we, I don't think we can be any more clear about that at Alternate Media. We're not here to evangelize Jews, but we are going to teach Christians how to talk to Jews. Because, uh, you know, if, if the conversation happens, if it comes up, um, and, and you want to be able to have this conversation, there are some things that you need to know. These are some things that you need to know. And also, this provides a lot of context for the New Testament documents, which are thoroughly Jewish documents written by Jewish men, 100%, in a Jewish context. Uh, within the frame and the scope of the idea that Christianity was called the sect of the way, which was a part of Judaism. It was not yet, but the New Testament is canonized, and then that Christianity breaks off and becomes its own religion. So it, it's not something that is ever saw itself as separate from Judaism. It was always uh, seen as part of. Uh, and so you have to continue to read it with the Hebraic thought process with the with the mindset of what's going on um and so that's what we're trying to do here is is, is show you some of these things that are important to the context in order for, to help you gain better understanding of what what is happening especially for those really confusing parts of the text with luke 7 being that so you know to, to kind of wrap it up we'll wrap it up and then we'll go right to the questions because you got a couple in the chat um john is not having a crisis of faith faith in luke 7 he's asking which, Which one are you? Are you? He's asking, are you the one or is there another? The one I would say is, are you the king messiah? Or are we waiting for him still? And Messiah's answer is straight out of Isaiah 35, which is pertaining to, according to Sukkah uh, 52a and, and, uh, and B. That is in... in in uh, reference to the suffering servant. But he also quotes uh, from another passage in Isaiah. 61. Which is also in reference to... It's it's one of those where if it, the whole verse is... Ha the first half is Ben Yosef and the second half is King is, is uh, Ben David. Mm -hmm. uh, and he sort of cuts off at the halfway point. So his answer in context is, I'm both, yes. but right now I'm one. I'm this one, the suffering servant. And then he's and then he cuts off the verse and he says, "Don't lose faith because of me." <laughs> right, and and I think it's important to point out that it even there it still makes sense. So you know, there's this distinction between uh, Yosef and and David in this aspect, um, and really even they have the same story. And I I, I love pointing this out. Actually, uh, the the difference between Joseph and David is the part of the story that we get emphasis on, right? So with Joseph, we get a lot of emphasis on his days as a suffering servant. That's the majority of his story. But right there at the end, we get this brief little portion about him as 
uh, practically the king of Egypt at this point and, and a conqueror at that, right? Because of his economic policy, he was able to actually uh, expand the empire. Uh, so, so, but, but that's just a little brief portion that we get at the end of his story. Whereas with David, we get this brief portion at the very beginning of his story where he's a suffering servant. He's least among his brothers, right? But then the whole rest of his story is nothing but his days as a conquering king. So even there, the typology between the two is present in both. We just get the emphasis on different sides. I like that. I like that chiastic structure you gave there just then. That's good stuff. <laughs> Very good stuff. So, the two that now you guys know the two messiahs. Uh, so we tend to specify here at Alternate Media, especially in conversations with those who who know. Uh, when we get asked about the figure of Yeshua, we say yes. We think that he uh, is Messiah Ben Yosef, and that. He rose and he will come back as Messiah ben David, but he is not yet Messiah ben David right now. In his intermediary period, he is our heavenly high priest. That's kind of the scope of how you would answer that question. So we got some questions. First one is Isaiah 53, uh, uh, blaming Rashi for redacting. <laughs> this is an interesting uh, a bit here. Talmudically, Isaiah 53 has always been considered a messianic prophecy. Uh, Rashi was forced into a position where he had to debate Catholics. Because of this, he wrote a lot of his commentaries uh, on things that Christians were commonly using all the time against Jews in order to try and not make it that way. So he, he wrote them under duress, is what I would say. I wouldn't say that... I would say that Rashi... Rashi would have believed that Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy, but he wouldn't have admitted it because then he would have given a victory to the Catholics. Uh, and so that's kind of, you know, he, it was under duress. They were forced into these debates. They they were not, it's not their fault at all. It's not like, you know, Rashi was like, ah, screw these Christians. It, it very much was, I need I need something in order to actually win this. So, right. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, and that, that, have... that makes sense in the time period he lived in. He lived in the earliest days of like the Spanish Inquisition, um, you know, uh, or, or even just slightly prior. Um, and so, yeah, Jews were being forced into having debates with priests and whatnot uh, against their will. And uh, they were oftentimes exiled from their communities if they won the debate and forced to leave and uh, or, or, or worse. Right. That That's the best case scenario. Yeah. Second uh, Corinthians. So I got it out here. I'll read it. This is the one where Paul says there's a veil. Ah. Uh, verse 15, but to this day, um, whenever Moses' read a veil lies over their heart, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Um, I just so read yeah, that. You're, you're aware of that. So, and actually, I think we did this in a previous episode where we talked about what that veil is. Or did we do that in the after party? I think we might have done that in an after party. Okay, so I, I read a lyric from uh, Matis Yahoo. Um, yeah, I think it was in the after party. Uh, go ahead and answer about the veil, though. I would, and I'll I would just say, lyric. yeah, the the veil the veil is, and I, and I almost described it a little bit earlier today, right? Uh, because in the the video that I was mentioning earlier uh, with the discussion about Sarah'at and Isaiah 53 and why Messiah is called the leper of the house of Rebbe, 
Um, and when they start getting into real nitty gritty detail about why this messianic figure would be considered deficient, why he would be considered uh, even you know, even unintelligent as it were among his own, among his own time, the scholars of his own day and whatnot, uh, why he would be an outcast in the, the scholarly community. Right. Um, it's the, the, the veil is this, when they really start to get into that kind of detail, you sit there in the back of your head, like there's no way they don't know. Like there's yeah. no way they don't know. Can you think of one Jew in history who's thought of this way? <laughs> like like when you were reading the Kohator, it's it's not likely that the Vilna Gaon was a believer. But you read no. the Kohator and you're like, how does he not know? Like, <laughs> like how yeah, how how does he not see who he just described? That's the veil. The veil is not they don't know anything about their own scriptures. They read it and everything they think is wrong about it. That is not the veil. That is a straight anti-Semitic lie invention of of modern Christendom and supersessionism. The veil is solely when they read Moses, they are unable to see that it is Messiah. That that is that is the veil. That's it. They are unable to make that connection, and that is in no way meant to insult. This is Paul trying to figure out himself. How can they not see? And that's his explanation because he has the same question we do. He, he's talking with his own brethren, and he's thinking, "How do you not? How do you not see these things that I see?" Uh, and that's kind of his explanation. It's not meant to be an insult. He's not trying to say they're dumb. He's not trying to. He 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 sincerely believes that it's only because God won't lift it that they can't see it. That that's kind of his explanation to help him resolve the dissonance that he has in his soul. Where like how how do you how do you not see these things? And and so that's the veil. It's 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 not what you've what you've been told by Christianity what it is. And, and one great example of this veil that I love to bring up to help illustrate this point. Um, I'm going to read a lyric from Matis Yahu. He's a Hasidic reggae, um, or at least he used to be Hasidic. I don't think he is anymore. He's conservative now, I think. But when he wrote this song, he was a Hasidic um, reggae artist, uh, peyote and everything. Right? And and he wrote this, this lyric. I'm going to say the lyric and then try to think of, I think it's Mark chapter two or three. What's this feeling? My love will rip a hole in the ceiling given myself to you from the essence of my being sing to my god songs of love and healing i want mashiach now time we start revealing okay in mark a guy is brought who is paralyzed on his bed and his and his his uh, four friends dig through the roof and lower him to the messiah so that he can be healed that is right? mark too yes and messiah sees that their faith was great and so he healed the man of his paralysis so again What's this feeling? My love will rip a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> Given myself to you from the essence of my being, sing to my God songs of love and healing. I want Messiah now, time to start revealing. And it's, so I see that and I'm like, that's, that's like straight up out of the New Testament. How do you not see that? That's the veil. Ah, <laughs> uh, we got a, we got a good question here. What you got? Which one? Well, I can't highlight it, but it's the it's the it's the the, the very last thing that was put in the chat. The what do y'all believe Melchizedek was? Yeah, that's uh, a that's a good right? one. Um, <laughs> so I, I I I don't see any reason to disagree with the rabbinate on this one. Um, according to uh, most midrashim, as well as the uh, Targum Jonathan, which which is a first century Targum, um, 
Melchizedek was Shem, the son of Noah. Um, matter of fact, when Abraham first meets Melchizedek, right, king of Salem, uh, it, it in the Targum it specifically reads that way. It says that they, you know, that they came to Melchizedek, uh, who was Shem, the son of Noah, right? It, it actually specifies this. So the Jews of Jesus' day, this is what they believed. This is what we know that this is what they thought about it. Mm -hmm. uh, is that he was Shem, the son of Noah? Now. There, there. A lot of confusion comes in when you add the Book of Hebrews to it, uh, because it mentions him being without, um, without lineage. Yeah, w without lineage. That doesn't mean that he had no mother and father, right? Uh, that just means that his parents were unknown to the generation at the time, right? Uh, for instance. Uh, by our own standards, right? And I'll use a very, uh, I'll, I'll use a very hated but well-known figure so that everybody can actually relate to what's being discussed here um but uh the leader the i won't even say his name because i don't want the video to get flagged but the <laughs> leader the political leader of germany between 1930 and 1945 <laughs> we don't know who his father was ergo in biblical terms for the modern age he had no lineage yeah we, uh, we cannot prove we cannot prove that he had a father. You can you can you can say, well, he was born, so he had to have a father. And it's like, okay, why can't the same thing apply to Melchizedek? Obviously he existed, so why couldn't he have a father? The the idea is that Shem at this point was the last living relic of the pre-flood world, right? He is an ancient being who has he, he came from quite literally another world nobody knows what the world was like before the flood at this point shem's the last one and with that lineage thing, so what the book of hebrews is specifically trying to do is because the torah doesn't tell us exactly who shem is right that the the oral traditions do but the torah itself leaves that information out so he you could say that with the written alone you have no idea what his lineage is also lineage could be meant to say that no covenant was made with him to be a priesthood because he's not of the line of levy so he has no lineage to be a priest and yet we know for a fact he was the high priest of of, um, of early jerusalem before it was called that and so he's making this parallel with saying that even though our messiah who is of the line of david right who is from judah he cannot be a high priest at least not according to the ironic priesthood but melchizedek also is without priestly lineage and yet he was a priest and so the messiah is of melchizedek's priesthood it is it is making a parallel of a saying that he can be a priest because a covenant was made with melchizedek that he was allowed to be that uh a covenant was made with aaron so he can't serve in the temple because he's not from aaron he's not a levite uh so he falls under melchizedek's uh priesthood essentially that's the parallel that's being made is he doesn't have lineage uh, even if we know exactly who Melchizedek's lineage was, he doesn't have the lineage necessary to be a high priest, except in the heavenly court. Uh, and so that's what Hebrews is trying to do. It's trying to draw this parallel like a midrash. It's trying to midrash you into um, why uh, we can still say that Messiah is the high priest in heaven if he's not of the line of Aaron. That's why. Yep. And uh, we got a question about Tzitzi. Do we? Um where uh just above that one actually just above that one very true 
Oh, I see it now. Yep. Uh, thank you so much for the answer. Now I have a different question. Seed seat with Tehelet or whites? Um, we were in Italy. We Oh, in Italy. <laughs> we wear them white. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the archaeology of the Tehelet. So as far as so, uh, my understanding of it is this. Um, the reason that white has been worn for so long is because the the, the way of extracting the dye uh, that was used uh, to, to make the Tehelet blue, um, that knowledge was lost uh, at some point in history. And it was uncertain as to whether, as to how it could be done. And so rather than wearing the wrong shade of blue, um, they just opted just to wear white for, for generations up until recently, I guess, uh, in Jerusalem. So that, yeah. So now this is, I guess, where the archaeology right, comes the, in yeah. my side. There are actually two different uh, accepted methods for getting the blue according to the archaeological record that we have. Um, the most popular one is the Radzin. Um, this is essentially an archaeologist, a Jewish archaeologist, who uh, discovered these mollusks, essentially. And he's come up with a what he believes, he's reconstructed the ancient method on dyeing uh, the blue from these uh, mollusks, these uh, shellfish, essentially. Uh, there's another uh, version. It's slightly different. It uses more sunlight. Um, the other one has... The, the, essentially, there are two dominating theories based on archaeology. We, uh, but What we do know is that we basically know how to recreate the Tehelet, um, and there's just a disagreement as to whether or not it's one way specifically with more sunlight or one way another specifically with less sunlight involved. Um, and so most most Jews in the mainstream, if it, it, the answer is, well, if we don't know, then we'll just, you know, so that we don't accidentally uh, violate the command, it's rather just wear the white because we don't know. And when Mashiach comes, um, that will be clarified. Um, I personally wear the Radzin style Tehelet on my seed seat. Yep. Um, and uh, it comes out after it settles in the, in the wool for a while. It, it has like this bluish purple hue to it which matches the descriptions that are given um, in ancient texts that try to describe the color of Tehelet. Because the word Tehelet doesn't mean blue. It says blue in your Bible, but it doesn't mean blue. Um, and so I, I, I go with that. And actually, uh, the, the Jewish community that I uh, attend synagogue with, Orthodox community, um, there's a couple there who also wear the blue, the, the Radzin style Tehelet. So it, it just, it depends. Um, you know, it just, I would say, honestly, there's really no wrong answer. Um, uh, yeah, that, 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 I would say that's a matter of conscience and conviction. Yeah, I, that's exactly how I would say that, especially since the blue and um, <laughs> and one of the guys in our chat can actually attest to this. It's very expensive to get the Tehelet. Uh, and I've ordered mine from Israel. It's like yes. $50 for four blue strings. <laughs> um, so it's it's not cheap by any means but it you know it's the most accurate recreation of what we can possibly know from archaeology so i i, I wear it I, I i like it i like it also that it matches with my my talit is blue blue striped uh, so it kind of matches with the blue um but yeah it, i would say there's no wrong answer it's a matter of conscience if you want to wear the tehelet then by all means wear the tehelet um and there was another one okay let's see this one in the valley, eating bread and wine, which is a sign of covenant, with Shem. 
uh, a shadow of Messiah would be king, son of God, and priest. So I, I think we're looking for a clarification question here. Uh, so what it sounds like he's asking, right, is this is the instance of, of Abraham who was made a prince of God, right? Is that instance of him sharing bread and wine, uh, which is a sign of, of a covenant with Shem, you know, Melchizedek, uh, would that be a, like a prophetic shadow of Messiah being uh, son of God and, and priest? Yeah. I mean, hmm. I would say Moses is a better parallel, right? That's, I'd have to think a lot more on that one and, and do a little bit more research before I could have like uh, an answer that I would feel comfortable standing on with respect to that one. Um, Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to, I tend to make a better connection with Moses because Moses sort of was a prophet, priest, king, like in a, in a sense. Uh, and Torah tells us Mashiach would be like Moses. Uh, and, you know, and Abraham can easily be a prototype, uh, definitely. Uh, there, there are many shadows of the Messiah <laughs> in the right. Torah, uh, which, uh, by the way, uh, is a good time to, again, announce our giveaway that we're doing. Ah, uh, um, yes. The bookshelf uh, starter kit. <laughs> <laughs> and in the bookshelf starter kit, let me, get, let me pull out a volume here. Uh, we have a full five-volume set. Actually, six-volume set, excuse me, because it has an appendices. A full six-volume set of the FFOZ Torah Club, Shadows of Messiah. This is, it goes through the entire Torah, but with basically looking for the shadows of the Messiah in every single uh, aspect of the Torah. Super, super good. This is my favorite set of all of the sets that I have. Um, we also have the five-volume complete set of the Tanya in the giveaway. Uh, as well as a bunch of other books and some other smaller giveaways that are being uh, done in that easily the, the the grand prize giveaway is easily 600 and some odd dollars worth of worth of books uh, so yeah, let me see here we got some we got some problem children in the chat no problem <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah so if you want to be part of the giveaway um, the, the only stipulation is you uh, have to be a Patreon supporter, at least at the $1 level. Patreon membership starts at $1. You get access to exclusive content. You're part of the giveaway. The giveaway will happen on Pareem. So it is a Pareem giveaway. Um, and, uh, so, and, and so, it, again, with that membership, you also can join us in the after party. After these live shows are over, we go to the Discord and hang out with you guys, and you can ask us whatever you want. It's just you and us. Um, and then, of course, there's... Uh, all sorts of other perks that come with that at the Patreon level starts at a dollar and you get uh, the possibility of winning tons of bookshelf material. <laughs> and for Kara Conrad in the chat, uh, who is asked, how do you enter subscribing to the Patreon is how you enter. Um, there yeah. are a variety of different uh, memberships at, at different prices. Um, e even at the $1 level that constitutes an entry into the drawing. So, um, you know, we're not discriminating in that aspect. We uh, do, I do have a, uh, an art scroll Sadur here. Um, and I do pray out of a Sadur. I also, like I says, I, I uh, regularly go to an Orthodox synagogue. Um, and so I pray in the presence of a minion out of a Sadur. 
Um, but yes, I do. I do use an art scroll. This is an art scroll Sephardic Seder. I like this one. There's, I also have an Ashkenazi version um, as well. I actually prefer the wording in the Sephardic version. I think it's, uh, personally, I just, I find it more beautiful, I guess. I don't know what your opinion is. Uh, you're you're probably Sephardic in your nature anyway, so that <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. And Art Scroll is beautiful. They are they really are the standard. Yes, all the books behind me in the middle shelf is all Art Scroll. Yes, all that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good point. I love my Sephardic because I'm super ADHD and it helps me. This is a great point. Because yes. I am also super ADHD, and there's nothing wrong with. I, I used to do this as a Christian. I used to write down prayers as a Christian. By definition, I'm still a Christian, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I used to write down certain prayers to remind, you know, like at the end of the day uh, or at the end of church, p- prayer requests come up, and you write that stuff down so you remember it in, in your daily prayers. And I used to compose prayers and say them because if you say it with the same emotion and feeling and motivation, then the words you use really don't matter, even if they're the same words from yesterday. Um, and yeah, the Siddur is is perfect. It's the same words that the that the disciples probably prayed. Um, and then it helps me stay focused. It helps me not trail off and, and lose my lose my focus. Um, so I, yep. I do love that point. It's a great point. Um, but of course, in our postmodern age, uh, for some reason. Um, the, the that idea it becomes ritualistic and so it's meant to be it's bad now um but yeah whatever <laughs> and we got a couple of people in here love praying from that i'm telling you guys the sadur is a it's a it, it, it's really really well composed even if you don't like the idea of praying the same prayer daily read through one anyway they're fantastically composed yes and it will you know it it, it will at least for the curious, it will put you in touch with cultural uh, Judaism in, in, in this aspect. You, you'll be more culturally acquainted with uh, Jewish practice and, and, and Jewish religious practice, especially, you know, uh, the, the prayers are a huge part of their daily practice. Yeah. I just uh, like, just, just so you guys have like an idea. Um, I'm just going to read like maybe one or two blessings out of, out of the 18 benedictions that it's called the Amidah for short means standing prayer or Shemana Esrei, which means 18 in Hebrew. Um, this one's the blessing for repentance. Bring us back our father to your Torah, bring us near our King to your service and influence us to return in perfect repentance before you. Blessed are you Hashem who desires repentance. After that is forgiveness. Forgive us our father for we have erred. Pardon us our King for we have willfully sinned for you are the good and forgiving God. Blessed are you Hashem, the gracious one who pardons abundantly. Um, there's what's, what's the, the vinaigrine. This is my favorite one. The offspring of your servant, David, may you speedily cause to flourish and enhance his pride through your salvation. For we hope for and look forward to your salvation all day long. Blessed are you Hashem who causes the pride of salvation to flourish. If you read that blessing in Hebrew, you say Yeshua three times. <laughs> um, so that's my, that's my personal favorite blessing. But I mean, th- these are good blessings. They really are a great guideline. Yeah, my uh, my favorite actually personally is the bedtime Shema. Uh, believe it Ooh, or not, that one's that's uh, especially the uh, the the portion uh, regarding the the invocation of the angels, uh, protection and whatnot. That is, look, if you ever want to go to bed comforted, the, the bedtime Shema is what you need to read before going to bed. Which 
you know that's what that's what we do anyway but but definitely uh and 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 if you if you ever want to you know pray with your children uh before they go to bed the bedtime shema is definitely a good one super good and you fulfill the commandment of saying the shema before you go lie down yep um another one i really like out of the shimon esrei um is the my god guard my tongue uh this is a really good daily reminder to like be humble um, it's my God guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully to those who curse me let my soul be silent let my soul be like dust to everyone open my heart to your Torah and my soul will pursue your commandments as for those who rise up against me with evil designs speedily nullify their counsel and disrupt their designs um, and act for your name's sake act for your right hand's sake act for your Torah's sake act for your sanctity's sake may the expressions of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you Hashem my rock and my redeemer like that mm -hmm. these are really really well written and there's I can't remember the source uh but there's a some of the prayers that are in the Shimon Esri were written written by Peter like Shimon Kepha Peter our Peter the Peter from the New Testament uh there's yep. there extra there is rabbinic documents that say as such that he helped write and compose many of the prayers that are prayed daily to this day in the Siddur so uh, and then uh, Rab, uh, Rabbi Ga Rabban Gamliel, the rabbi of Paul, um, he is the one who instated that you should pray the Simona Esrei uh, thrice daily. So we basically know for a fact that the prayers written in this Siddur are the same prayers that the disciples would pray three times a day. So yes. why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? <laughs> right. We Especially in Acts chapter 10, we get an example of both Peter and and Cornelius doing it. So we know that this, this, if nothing else, this certainly was for both Jew and Gentile. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and we got a question on the, do I use to fill in? I actually don't have a set. I'm looking for a set that's really small, like the size that the Qumran community had. Um, right. Yeah. But, and they're really, really pricey. Also, I mean, Very you know, expensive. in an Orthodox Jewish community as a non-convert, I am not allowed to use to fill in. And out of respect for them, I'm not going to wrap tefillin, you know, uh, for morning prayers with them because that that would just be the a big insult to them. So I'm not uh, not not here to do that. Um, but if I were to yeah, try to, I'm, I am looking for a set that's like a really nice small set. Uh, so because the words of the master, right? They make their tefillin broad and they make their uh, seed seed long. So I'm trying to find small tefillin and small seed seed. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm gonna say I think that's a good place to call it. Um, yeah. this has been a good one. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed tonight. Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed studying for tonight. I think more, but <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the, when you read these stuff, you're like, wow. Again, that that veil thing. Like, how do you not see this? But <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's really good stuff. But anyway, uh, hope hopefully this has provided for you guys some uh, better context, some better cultural context, some better uh, better equipped to have a conversation. Um, hopefully this answers some some confusing questions that you have about your uh, your New Testament studies. And um, I uh, I got a little bit left here, so I, I can still I can still Lachaim uh, in a second here. <laughs> Last last little shout out to our Patreons once again. Thank you guys. You you make this happen. Um, your support here makes this episode happen. Everything you see, the design of everything that's going on here is all thanks to you guys. Uh, even the, the the episode ideas are thanks to you guys. Uh, so again, Hashem bless you abundantly for your generous donations. Uh, um, we can't. I don't think we can thank you enough. 
Uh, no, so no, thank no, you so no, much. No. Um, but yeah, so uh, with that, uh, we will see you guys in the after party. Those of you who yes. are Patreon supporters in the Coming Discord. Out. So until then, Lila Tov and uh, Lachaim. Lachaim. <laughs> <laughs>